book of Philippians, and we're going to be in chapter 3, and I wanted to go to verse 16, but we'll go ahead and end about 8 o'clock, and I'll just go to verse 11. That kind of makes it hard, that's not where I want to end it, but... It's not a sermon we have here. This is Bible study, and so we're going to look at the verses, uh, verse by verse. And let's go ahead and read through them all, starting in verse 4. Paul says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath wherewith he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death, if by any means I might attain under the resurrection of the dead. Bob Zupke was a football coach for the University of Illinois from 1913 to 1941. And he has been, this could be argumentative, but he's been credited with the invention of the huddle, the flea flicker, the screen pass, the pass block, the long snap, and the linebacker position. As my daughter would say, I don't know about that one. But what's most important that stood out that I read about this man was a question that he asked the football team that he answered his own self. And his question was, I don't know if this was before a game, halftime after a game. I guess it could have been in practice or any time. But his question was, what makes a man fight? And his answer was, two forces are at war in every fighter. The ego and the goal. An overdose of self-love, a coddling of the ego, makes bums of men who ought to be champions. Forgetfulness of self, complete absorption in the goal, often makes champions out of bums. We... Did you hear a little self-righteousness in there? And then maybe did you hear a little bit of a, of a savior righteousness in there maybe? That's what we're going to talk about tonight as we have been talking about pressing on.
We were talking about pressing on the last time I had the privilege to be in here and we shared a few things about pressing on in the Christian faith. This church at Philippi needs to press on. There are some tempted to division. Some people want their own way and the church is not as, as strong as it could be and they need to get things back together and they need to be able to press on. And so do you and I. And some things that Paul mentioned there in verses 1 through 3 was the fact that we press on in the joy of the Lord. We press on in the word of the Lord. And we also press on in the worship of the Lord. And and look, all of these things are spiritual things. All of these things stem from faith. The way we're going to press on is by faith. and, And all of these things will come about as a result of our faith. These are not natural means that we are given to press on as Christians. We're not to rely on anything within ourself, within our own ability, within our uh, anything to do with uh, our own attributes or our achievements or the status that we have had in the world or in our family in any way. And and so we started seeing a rebuke of self-righteousness at the end of verse 3 when we closed up last time. And Paul writes, Have no confidence in the flesh. So we're not going to press on by our own righteousness. We're not going to press on by self-righteousness. And... uh I don't see how there could be anyone greater that we might listen to to talk about this than the Apostle Paul. Because according to the world's standards, he had the right in everything. I mean, he was of the right nation, of the right tribe, of the right language, of the right customs. I mean, what does it say here? He was circumcised the eighth day. We can listen to Paul because according to the world's standards, he had a higher birth. The circumcision, that was an expression of faith in God. That was an expression of belief and and faith in the Old Testament promises. So Paul was born uh, into a family that expressed faith in God. They they had a lot of they had their wires crossed in some ways on it, of course, but according to the way the world looked upon the religion that they were part of, they were a prominent religious family. Um, not only that, but he was of the stock of Israel. You know, God does have a special relationship to Israel. And here Paul, in the flesh, he could say, hey, I'm of the right nation. But then, he was of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, all twelve of those tribes are the tribes of God, but the tribe of Benjamin is known as the most loyal to God. So, Paul could say, hey, if I'm just thinking in the flesh, I could think, hey, I'm of the the right tribe. I'm of the most loyal tribe to the Lord. So, he thought he had a a higher birth uh, by one more thing, by being a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He thought that he was of the right language and the right customs. By human standards, there was no more respectable person than someone who fit in his category, okay? Now, he not only had a higher birth, but he could speak of a higher belief if he was going to have confidence in the flesh, because it says in verse 3 that he was a Pharisee. 
And the Pharisees named themselves that. And the word Pharisee, it means separated ones. The Pharisees were known as a very strict religion. I mean, I mean, everyone looked upon them as the strictest with the law of God. And Paul was a very devout Pharisee. So the world looked upon this religion as, as just a very powerful, uh, strict religion that he was devoted to. But he was of a higher bustle, we could say as well, as we look in verse 5, because it says that, um, in verse 6, I mean, it says, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Paul had a, an amazing zeal, unfortunately in his wrong religion. But he had zeal. He had an excitement. He was zealous for his religion. He stood strong in his religion. As a matter of fact, anybody that opposed Paul's religion, then, then he would, he would be looking to shut him down. He would be looking to put him out. He stood tall for his religion, you know, that the world looked highly upon. So if he was going to boast in the flesh, he would boast on something like that. I mean, he persecuted others to death. He delivered Christians into prison. He, it says in the book of Acts that he thought that he ought to do many things contrary to Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And then it goes on to say in the book of Acts also that, that he was exceedingly mad against Christians. So he had zeal in his religion. He also had a higher blamelessness. Look with me again in verse 6. It says, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul went through all of the motions of the rituals of his belief. He was in, in, in attendance to every ceremonial event that his religion partook in. He was faithful. You know, some say that people are so faithful to their religions, they look at them and say they'd be a good Christian. They're, they're, they're there all the time. They just need to be in the right place for the right reasons. But Paul was faithful and devout. He was blameless concerning the law. He even offered sacrifices for sin, even though he had it all discombobulated. Uh, and what he's saying by all of this is that he had the most righteousness that anyone could have according to the world standards. When he looked at himself, when he looked at his status, when he looked at all that he came from, when he looked at his religious background, I mean, he had it all according to the, word, the world standards, but he got a zero in God's standards. It was worth absolutely nothing. The perfect person that God would use to be able to tell us about reproving a self-righteousness within us. Man, don't you know anyone of a different religion that read what Paul wrote here was offended? They were very offended uh, at the words that he said. I mean, it would, other people held their religion of high regard. And Paul is saying that it is absolutely nothing. And it does not meet up to God's standard. You know, and, and still, we have what we just shared. And you have people today in a works mentality salvation 
who believe that they can earn a righteous standing with God on their own. And the best thing that can happen to them is for them to be offended. For them to be offended by the Word of God, which will show them their fatal end of their life, trying to do something to earn the righteousness of God. But look, this is even for the Christian who is saved by grace tonight, because don't you know that there is a rut in, in mentality that we can all fall into of putting it on ourselves to try to live this impossible life? It's something we can't do on our own. We will, it's like a magnet that tries to get us to revert back to the flesh, to try to operate in our own ability to do something to meet a righteous standard. And we can't do that. We can't be, we can't be found to be successful in our own ability, which the Bible says is filthy rags righteousness. And Paul clearly points that out to us. So there is a self-righteousness that is rebuked for us to have any confidence in whatsoever. But Paul changes the tune here and we start looking at a Savior righteousness in verse 7. And Paul says here, After all of that, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss. For Christ. You understand what happened to Paul? He completely abandoned and put aside and counted as nothing a religion that he had worked in, that he had been climbing a ladder he thought in, you know, to, to be accepted by God. And there, he completely abandoned it. He completely walked away from it. He completely disowned anything that he had thought helped him get close to God in the religion that he had. He totally devalued everything about his past religion. And I know you have talked to folks who are not saved, but are religious. And I know you can pretty much almost see it in their eyes the pride that keeps them from renouncing what they had been in and done their whole life. Paul did that. I mean, you, you can just see, you, you just believe that God is drawing them to the truth, yet they, the pride just won't let them do that. But Paul did, and he did it because he had a Damascus Road experience. It takes a Damascus Road experience to set aside any confidence in self or any value in anything done in religion or in any good works to try to come to God. That's what it takes. I had my Damascus Road experience at 400 Main Street in downtown Humble. Maybe you had your Damascus Road experience right here at 5801 FM 1960 East. Maybe it was over on Bender Road on the other side of 59 over there. But what we're saying is that it takes salvation. It takes being saved by the Lord to renounce this 
past experience and to set aside anything that we had valued or had worked in in life. To have to just wad it up and throw it away. A Savior righteousness only comes by a salvation experience. There are many that want to just, that just want to, just want to fall into the lane of what the church is doing and hit the ground running in some works and feeling good about being a part of a church. But there must be a salvation experience in the Lord. Look, in one way of saying it, we lost all when we gained God. We had to lose all. We had to count all as loss when we gained this prize of the righteousness of God that He has given us. There is no mixture of any other righteousness with the righteousness of Christ when someone is saved. There is nothing that can be added to it. This salvation by grace cannot have any works put in it for the position. It, no one is working for a position in heaven that is given to you. It is a free gift of grace and nothing, if there's any, if there's any works that frustrates the grace of God, it doesn't mix together. It is only by grace. So as we talk about a savior righteousness, look, there first must be a salvation experience to be able to have this. For Paul to be able to say this, it was because of that road to Damascus experience. But as we continue, it says in verse 8, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Um, there's several different things to preach on in this verse, and sometimes we'll talk about all of them, but I'm hung up on the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus that Paul is expressing that he came to. Uh, I'm sure we're all for education here. You know, education is good. We all ought to, we all ought to have one. That's good. I know we all agree on that. But there is something more excellent to learn of that is a lifelong experience of learning that you and I never exhaust. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. You never stop learning of Him. The world wants to, re to rebuke this idea of Jesus and all they think about is, well, you believe that someone came to earth and died for your sins. And if you believe in him, you're going to be able to go to heaven. And I'll tell you what, that's just the beginning of of a lifetime of knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And that's the, the human intelligent person. They just, I've heard people say, I've, I've, I've known of the gospel being presented and someone saying, I believe that is foolish. And, you know, they, they make fun of believing in Jesus and trusting in him. Well, look, he's not only savior. I mean, but he's redeemer. He's our advocate. There's a study for you right there. Just thinking about him as our advocate. He is our hope. He is our great high priest. He is our eternal glory. What does it mean that he is deity? I'm talking about a study for our life of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the propitiation for our sins. What a beautiful, in-depth, and spiritually intelligent study that is. He's our righteousness. 
I'll tell you what, digging into the education and experience of Jesus Christ, you'll never exhaust it. You'll exhaust a book in school and you'll get from beginning to end. But that's not going to happen with the excellency of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll tell you what, we've received Savior righteousness. We ought to learn about this Savior. We ought to learn about Him every day. We ought to become more like Him every day. Education and experience ought to be our number one goal and an excellent privilege that we have. And then in verse 9, Paul said, he's speaking of that knowledge of Christ Jesus, and then he says, and, to, and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness. There, there goes some religions right there. Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that... Think, think about the day he found this, that Jesus found him. But that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. You understand, Paul, as he was and what he was doing, he was going to stand before God one day. He was going to stand before God and he was going to lose. He was going to stand before God and it was going to be nothing but torment. He was going to be separated from God one day. Those who believe in a works, a works salvation, they don't mind talking about the here and now and doing works and you got to, you have to do works. You have to do this. This honors God. You have to respect God and do these works and, and we, we work like crazy in the family of God just not to earn, not to earn salvation, but because we're saved. But, but people who believe in a work salvation, they don't want to talk about the end. They don't want to talk about what they call the unexpected end. You know, they, they're fine with the here and now because the pride has them working and doing things, but they don't know what God's going to do. And, and here Paul was, he was working and he was sincere. It, who cares if you're sincere in your religion? That doesn't qualify the religion. He was as sincere as he could be. And he got saved. And then it's like you see here, he's going, I was going to offer myself to God. I was going to offer things that I did to God. Oh man. But I get to stand before God with a perfect righteousness. I have a perfect righteous position before God now. I am looking to the future. He, he's ready for the future. He's ready to stand face to face with Jesus Christ. Not that we disrespect His perfect holiness. We don't. We all fall short of His glory. We may all fall down our face in unworthiness. We're all unworthy. But we have been given the position in Savior righteousness of perfection before God. Someone said it this way. Someone said, you take a book just of the things that Jesus Christ did, Jesus' life in the Bible. You take it and, and you just write a, you just, you just write a, a page on him. And, and you write Jesus Christ at the top. And then you just read that and then you look and you write your name up there. You can write your name up there when you receive the righteousness of Christ. That's how God has to see us. He has to see us perfect and all of our sins forgiven and the blood of the Lamb washing us white as snow. And that's what we have. And Paul is saved eternally by perfect righteousness. And he knew it in his life before he stood before God. And how precious to have Savior righteousness. You know, we're saved eternally too. And just like Paul. And I hope our response to this Savior righteousness 
would be as that of Paul's. And we go on to see from us, from being saved eternally to Paul's desire. Paul's desire was a similar event. Look at verse 10 so we can talk about what I'm talking about. <laughs> that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. That is so beautiful. I, I've tried to preach this so many times and I know I've never done justice to this, but to, but just to read it and to, to think of the desire of Paul to know Christ and to be more like him, to know him more and more. No one can reach Christ's extreme perfection. No one can go through the drastic suffering that Christ went through. But Paul wants to do as much as he can as a similar experience so that he might know Christ. It's a high level of communion that we have when, when we have any experience that is common with Christ. Paul wanted to know the power of Christ's resurrection. You know, all saints are going to know that power one day. When Jesus comes back to the clouds, there's going to be the power of resurrection that all Christians are going to experience. And Paul knew that was coming, but he wanted to experience that power now. He, want, he knew, he understood that we have been changed. If any man be in Christ, be all things are... I've quoted that verse a million times. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, oh, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Okay? Paul, Paul wanted that newness. Paul wanted the new things. Paul wanted the things that he never could do before in dead religion. He wanted to experience the power of the Christian life in this life. He wanted to experience Christ's power as Christ, as the Son depended on the Father. Paul wanted to depend on Christ and have that power in his everyday life. Paul died daily to experience resurrection, to have power during his life. Paul wanted to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Everyone wants a halo from Christ, but does everyone want his hardships? We can't have the hardships of the cross. Only Christ could bear those. But there are other hardships. There are hardships in, in persecution when we stand for righteousness sake. And we could talk about a hundred things, but how about this one? How about the fact that Christ absorbed all of our sin on the cross and He offers forgiveness? And don't you know, people try to use the forgiveness of Christ. People try to abuse the forgiveness of Christ. There are people who mock the forgiveness of Christ. There are those who hear about it, hear about His love, hear about what He did, and they don't want it. You think that's painful to the Lord? 
He absorbed. He absorbs the pain through forgiveness. What, what about you and I? Paul wanted to know Him. Paul wanted to be more like Him. What about you and I when we offer forgiveness? Does, does the pain or the remembrance of what someone done has done, did it just go away? If you, say, if you say yes, let them do the same thing to you again and tell me if it went away. Do you forgive someone and then they go on to do the same thing? What do you say we just give up? What do you say we just, we just put, that, put that forgiveness aspect of the Christian life aside? Do you want to do that? Well, not if we're going to be more like Christ. And I've had the question asked to me a lot. And I probably didn't answer it very good, but the Scripture answers it very well as to what do we do ongoing with someone who we've forgiven who continues on in what they do. Well, Christ absorbed it. He absorbed all of our past, present, and future sins. If you're here tonight and you're saved, you've sinned after you're saved. And you've confessed your sins broken to the Lord. But what did the Lord do? He, he absorbs it. He, he went to the cross and the sky turned dark and the rocks rent, fractured every one of them as the sins of the world. And everyone came upon Jesus. And He experienced that pain. And He absorbed all of our sin. Paul wanted to know the fellowship of His sufferings. Absorb. Absorb it. Endure it. Endure the wrong and you forgive again. Well, what do I do with it? Well, you absorb it. You, 70 times 7, you forgive them. Which, that's not 490, that's an endless number. You absorb it. Paul wanted to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Man, it doesn't, doesn't feel good to go through suffering. What do you think when you go through suffering for righteousness sake? Can you think... My Lord Jesus went through this. My Lord, my Lord Jesus, He went through this and much more than I could ever experience of any suffering at all. Paul, and, and, and that makes you know your Lord Jesus just that much more. That's how bad Paul wanted to know his Lord. He wanted to be made conformable unto his death. And we'll just sum that up with complete sacrifice and submission to Christ. But as we look at this Savior righteousness, let's look at verse 11 now. Paul says, If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. In religious self-righteousness, those are not going to leave, those folks are not going to leave the ground when Jesus comes to the clouds. But those who have a relationship in Christ Savior righteousness, they are going to be elevated saints, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Paul is not hoping he's going to attain unto that resurrection. He knows that he is. He knew that Christ was coming one day. But he wanted to, to grow in knowledge and Christ's likeness. He wanted to grow in maturity spiritually. He wanted 
for this completion to be taken place in his life. He wanted to be the finished product that God wanted him to be when he took him home. He wanted to be able to say as he did, I have finished the course. I have kept my faith. The time of my departure is at hand. He wanted to grow to full maturity. My wife doesn't like this phrase, but we we have to grow up or throw up. And that's that's what God wants for us all. And that was Paul's desire that we that he would grasp the greatness of the familiarity that we can have with our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, as I said, I've I love these verses. These are some of my favorite ones. You almost just have to have to read it and uh, thank God for. For Paul's passion and what God used Paul for. And I pray that every one of us, when that flesh tries to, to seep in and overcome, and we when we try to do things in our own ability, we're not impressing God at all. We're insulting God. He wants us to call on Him. He wants us to depend on Him. There may be someone here tonight, and you've kept something all bore up inside you. And you need to give that to God. It's impossible on our own. You can trust Him. It's a lack of trust when we don't give something to God. It's, it's arrogant for us to think that we're living the Christian life in our own ability. We need Him. We need Him. We always need to trust in Him. Well, we're going to go to the Lord in a word of prayer. And, and Lord willing, I, I, I'll be in here next week to to be able to finish where I started off because we didn't finish, finish a section there. We're right in the middle of it. And, and as we go to the Lord in prayer, you know, there's some people, Nolan and Joanne are too, that, that sometimes I, I just don't mention them because you see somebody so solid and so faithful and you, you pray for them, but, but it doesn't come to your mind to mention them. And, and I say that to say this. I, I know that Brother John had a, had a rough week last week and uh, was down in his health and... and uh, we need to remember to pray for him just as well. And thank God for all that, that he does. Um, Daniel Vircher, would you close us in a word of prayer tonight? Uh, bring us back here on Sunday, Lord. Bless uh, the service on Sunday, Lord. And uh, please continue to bless the uh, van ministry, Lord. Continue to uh, help Brother Scott, Lord. We thank you for all you do. We thank you for everything. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.